0: So we're starting a new series today, uh, and it's called Rooted. Um, I read an article this week, um, and it was on, (laughs) on the Huffington Post, and it was from this Yale historian, and he's not a believer, but he said this, Regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. If it were possible, with some sort of super magnet, to pull up out of history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace of his name, how much would actually be left? And it's this reminder, and he goes on in the article and talks about how Christianity has impacted the world in so many tangible ways since the church started 2,000 years ago. He talked about um, how 2,000 years ago, children were not valued. They were, in a sense, thought it was a burden and kind of, in a sense, thrown out, especially ones who didn't have parents. But the church came along and had this, this Jesus ethos, right, of loving little children, of caring for little children and adopting little children, and it changed the world. The world, years ago, was a really cruel place. And Christianity brought a level of passion and care for the poor, for the sick, For the forgotten that was undeniable in the day. And we see hospitals now, um, education now, that was really established because of Christianity. The slave trade was ended because of Christianity. And so we see is this tangible effect of the church, of the followers of Jesus living out their faith in the world. We clearly see that in the history of the world, whether you're secular or a Christian person, you see that in the world. Now, um, compare that today with the church today. If you were to ask people, Christian and non-Christian, about their thoughts and the impact on the church today, it would sound very different, wouldn't it? For a whole host of reasons. And And today, we're gonna talk about maybe why that is different. And, of course, I think part of it is that the world is much more secular now. We all see that. I mean, our, our um, perspective on life in the womb um, is demonic. Uh, the approach to sexuality now has gone off the rails. Um, in very many ways, we are a godless society. I think it is clear to see that. Now, here in the Bible Belt, we might be a little slower kind of seeing that, but it's coming in our culture as well, correct? In our community. And I think the question we have to ask is, what, how, what's our response to that? Because I will tell you this too. 2,000 years ago, ago, when Christianity spread and had great tangible expressions and things on earth, it was just as dark, if not darker then. That was not a time that was conducive to Christianity. It was hostile to the followers of Jesus. Very hostile. Our Savior was murdered because of what he said. Our church fathers were murdered because of what they said, taught, and believed. So we're not unique in the sense that we're living in a hostile time towards Christianity. But the question is, what is our response? What What is our call? Here's what I would say. And here's our issue many times, is that we, I would say the church, and even we as Christians, we focus on the big and the loud. We think if we are louder than the world, if, we, if our words are more persuasive, if we honestly put on grand enough shows, if we get the right politicians, then the tangible effects of the kingdom will come. But Jesus, what Jesus did is he focused on the small and the meek. His message was focused on the small, not huge crowds. When he had huge crowds, he would say crazy things and make them small crowds, right? He focused on the small, and his message was one of of meekness, of peacemaking, was the message of Jesus. It was a message not to come and consume. Like, there's this thought, if we can just get people to just show up and just, you know, hear your kids, do this, do that, just come and consume this and hear this and all these things. That was not his message. His message was to come and die, wasn't it? Which is completely polar opposite of the Western church. And even, honestly, the way I'm wired, I don't want to tell you guys to come and die. Because more likely you're going to come and leave if I say that. But there is this calling for the church of Jesus for us to say we're to come and die. Correct? Robert Coleman wrote a phenomenal book called The Master Plan of Evangelism. I want to encourage you all to read it. It's a great book. He says this, Jesus devoted most of his remaining life on earth to these few disciples. He literally staked his whole ministry on them. I do believe that we can look at the ways of Jesus and learn something. So God came in flesh. And what did he do? Did he just always preach and have these grand announcements? No, he focused on the 12. Let's keep going with this quote from Robert Coleman. One cannot transform a world except as individuals also in the world are transformed. And individuals cannot be changed except as they are molded in the hands of the master. The necessity is apparent not only to select a few helpers, but also to keep keep the group small enough to be able to work effectively with them. The world is transformed as we are transformed, right? Right? and the gospel goes forth, not in lots and big crowds and rows, but in the very, very small, right? That is how the gospel goes forth and deep into our hearts. So I have to ask us as we start today, you can come in. It's it's okay. You can come in. My wife's all like acting all awkward about coming in. Um, Am I embarrassing you? I'm sorry. No one's looking at you. Um, uh, What's I was screaming about something. Um, The question I have for us as we get started is, what do you want? What do you want? Like, what do you want your life to count for? Um, You're good, you're good, y'all are just serving the kingdom. I want you to imagine for a second, um, imagine a tree. Just a heads up, I'm gonna do a lot of drawing today. So, imagine a tree. Imagine a better tree than that, yes. But imagine a tree. And in a sense, when Jesus uh, called us into his kingdom, he saved us, delivered us, he called us to be rooted in him, correct? To be deeply rooted in the message and the ways of Jesus. And that in the life of every disciple of Jesus, there should be in a sense this tree where the roots are just buried deep into Jesus and his gospel and nothing else, correct? We must be rooted in that. But for every believer that's been filled with the Holy Spirit, there should be this tree. And at some point in your life, and I will say in your ministry, we always say as Protestants, we believe in the priesthood of all believers, correct? But we don't live as if we believe in the priesthood of all believers. We're functionally Catholics in that way that we have a priest who does the work, right? But no, we are all ministers of the gospel. And my hope, my prayer, what I go to bed dreaming for for us is that every person in this room is this tree. And in 5, 10, 15 years, there is fruits of people on your tree, of disciples that you've invested in. As God has done this deep work in your life, you go and you make disciples. And that covenant one day, our, our little small faith family would be full of these, these little discipleship trees where there is fruit being born of new believers in in Christ that then go out and make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. And as we have a community full of little trees all over Shreveport and Bossier and Blanchard and Houghton and the places where God has sent us, that is when we begin to see tangible expression of God's kingdom. Listen, our community does not need more really good church services. What our community desperately needs is changed disciples of Jesus going out to their neighborhoods and their workplaces and being ministers of the gospel. I believe in 20, 30 years, the way the church looks could be markedly different than it is right now. And if we are not prepared and trained up to live as missionaries on the ground, we are missing out. So that is the hope, that is the prayer. And the question is, well, how does, it, how does a tree develop? Well, it's these healthy, deep roots. And the way that we get great roots in faith is through death. John 12, 24 says this. This is the message of Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And Jesus here is talking about himself, that he has come to die. And then we see all throughout the rest of his message, it was this message to come and die. This is a death to what I think is best in my life. It's a death to what I want to have control over. It's a death to my preferences. It's a death to this, to this, to this. Here's the good news and the bad news about this. Here's the bad news. You never graduate from death in your life. You, You never come to a place in your life, in your ministry, where you have fully died to yourself. But here's the good news. If you feel like you have not arrived That's a good place to be. And I would encourage you, as Christ tells us, to take up our cross daily. There is this daily death every single day that we must experience so that we are deeply rooted in Him and not ourselves. So the message today as we start off, as we start off this idea of even discipleship in general, is to come and die. And if you put your faith in Christ, and I imagine most of you have in this room, that is a great thing to celebrate. But the message still is to come and die. Come and die today, come and die tomorrow, come and die the next day. So what does it look like to be rooted in the ways of Jesus? Two things we're going to talk through today. The first, as we die to ourselves, we're called to live an integrated life. We're called to live an integrated life. And second thing, as we're being Made to become like Jesus. We're to grow in the character and the competency of Jesus. The character of being like Jesus. But the competency of doing what he did. Living an integrated life and growing in the character and the competency of Jesus. So first thing, Jesus modeled an integrated life. Let's go to Luke 6. Verse 12. And these six or seven verses in this passage really give this just clear picture of Jesus' ministry. Verse 12. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Verse 17, And he came down with them, and he stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with an unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came from him and healed them all. What you see Jesus is living an integrated life. A life that starts with the Father. You see this, before he went and he chose his disciples, it says he spent time in prayer with God. And that was the posture of his life, wasn't it? That he, you see throughout the Gospels, him withdrawing and being with the Father. But then he also created a community around him of his disciples, where he was living in relationship with other followers of him. But he didn't just live here of this kind of with the Father and with his community, but he also went out and he preached the good news. He healed people from their sickness and he cast out demons. He lived a life out. And you see this integrated life of Jesus of up, of in, and out. But you also see this in Jesus. You you know he did it well because you see this in Acts in the early church. This is how you know discipleship has happened because they were doing what Jesus did. Look at Acts 2. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, saved. You saw a community that lived up, in, and out. They lived an integrated life. So you were created, we were created for three key relationships. The first and most important, our relationship with the Father. We were created to know Him, worship Him, and glorify Him. All life flows from Him. We were also created for relationships with God's family. The family of God should encourage each other, support each other, care for each other, challenge each other, speak truth to each other, but also we're called to go out for our relationship with God's world, for God's world. And see, these three relationships, we tend to... um, think that we can do this alone. I read a study on Lifeway. They put out a study a few weeks ago saying that I think 60-something percent of Christians believe they can be discipled by themselves through just reading books, listening to a podcast, doing this, doing that, all these kind of things. But I'm here to tell you these are interdependent on one another. Here's what I mean. You need other believers to help you become more like Christ. You do. You also need God to help you bear with other believers, correct? And you can't walk with God and be a follower of Him, be filled with His Holy Spirit and not live as a sent person in God's mission. All of these three things work together. And, and, you know, we tend to gravitate towards one of these. Like some people are kind of up and in type people. Some love to go out and just serve other people and do all these kind of things for God's mission. But I will tell you, as I was praying through this this week, I don't feel like our issue is, is that we need to be more balanced. There is some truth to that. I think, um, I think our issue is moving, beyond, beyond, moving past just surface level engagement in all three areas here. Here's what I mean. We have to move beyond just giving God lip service. Does that make sense? Kind of showing up for maybe church, kind of doing things out of duty, just kind of being here, right? Like we kind of give God like the crumbs. That's not a balance issue. That's truly that's really a death issue, isn't it? And we have to go beyond... It's driving me crazy. We have to go beyond just kind of showing up for events and maybe kind of giving our life to others. What do we see in Acts? What do we see with God? God came to earth and he literally lived with other people. And Jesus, what happened for him is the community of Christ even surpassed his family on some level. And that in in the West especially, We have, like, removed ourselves from being deeply integrated into community with other believers. Like, we should be deeply known. Other people should know your deepest, darkest fears and sins. You should feel supported in your life and your ministry. But many of us are doing this alone, and we feel burned out and exhausted. Somebody had a quote the other day said that we all deeply want to be known in community. Like, we all feel that. But we love being autonomous and independent more than we want community. And that damages us. We must be, move beyond surface level. And then as far as living out, we have to title to ourselves and then serve others the way Christ served us in word and in deed. We have to move beyond surface level engagement in these three areas. I will say most of our lives look more like this if, we have, if we're a triangle. It's self right here. It's our nuclear family right here. And then probably either work or hobbies right here. That It's these relationships that drive us. And the issue for the church is that this triangle is the world's triangle. Isn't it? It's the world's triangle. And God has shown us, modeled us, and empowered us, empowered in us a different way. And, and I wanna challenge us as a people, as a church, to live an integrated life that looks more like the ways of Jesus and less like the ways of the world. Does that make sense? So as we grow in these relationships, in these, in these, in these spheres of life, This should lead you to become more like Christ. That is is my hope. That is our prayer. That as you walk in these three things, you are transformed from one degree of glory to another, correct? But I will tell you this. We're not called to simply be disciples. To simply exist. Like We're not called to grow in these things and it just benefit, benefit us. Go to Matthew 28. And I'm not reading anything new when I read this. I'm reading verses you've heard probably your entire life. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore And here's the phrase I want you to underline, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He doesn't say, go therefore and be disciples. He says, go therefore and make disciples. There was this true and real expectation that this ministry, as he was about to ascend, was now, was now ours. All authority given to Christ. And he's saying, Now you're my ambassadors to go and make disciples. Jesus wanted and expected more for his followers than just being disciples and showing up to church things. He wanted and expected much more than that. He wanted and expected to join his church in his work. And listen, I just, uh, I've got to just tell you and implore to you, uh, many of our lives feel um, incomplete, feel halfway, because we have been given the Holy Spirit, and we are called to much greater things than to just exist. We are called to come and die and to go and make There is nothing greater to give your life to than the cause of Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus trained in character how to become like him, but also in competency to do what he did. And as he trained in both, we see the fruits of that in the early church, don't we? What do we see in the Gospels? That he says, it's better for me to leave And you'd be filled with the Holy Spirit to then go out and do what I've taught you to do. Let's see how he's trained his disciples. Go to to Luke 9. Luke 9, verse 1. Where Jesus, he didn't just train, didn't just teach, didn't just rebuke, he didn't just model. He literally gave them tangible things to do. Luke 9, verse 1. And he called the 12 together. And he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Jesus sent his followers out to start practicing tangible ministry while he was still there. He was training them in the competency of how to do this. Think about this. He taught them how to pray. He says, pray then like this. He was teaching them how to do these things so that when he left, they could go and do these things. His training in character and in competency. Look at Luke 10. He trained the 72 and those around them how to do this. The Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them on ahead of him, two by two, Into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money back, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him but if not, it will return to you. Go down to verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So what you see here, and this is on your sheet too, as you think through this idea of character and competency, as you see this, As you grow in your character, let's say you're not trained on how to do this, on your competency. You will do some good kingdom work, but it'll be limited. But say you have low character and you have no competency. Say you're a terrible person and you have no idea how to follow Jesus. You have limited harm. Here's a danger spot right here is when you have great competency. People follow you. They listen to you. They want to follow your leadership and your model. But you have no character. You have unlimited opportunity for harm. And have we not seen this in the church in the past 10 years? With these charismatic pastors that have just extreme gifts And we have to be so careful that we don't just throw the ones who can teach, who can preach, who are great leaders, throw them up and say, follow them. First off, Christ did not do that, did he? He found the ones who nobody thought about. But we've seen, honestly, church leaders and pastors who have very low character. I would say this, who I think over time, we talked earlier how the death must be daily, correct? We can't say we died 10 years ago. This is true for every leader, every pastor, every minister, that if we don't consistently die to ourselves, our character over time will wane. We don't, that's, why we, that's why we don't graduate from community. For the rest of your life and my life, we need others speaking life into us. And if we're in a place in ministry where all we're doing is doing ministry, we're going we're to lower our character, and I will tell you, you're in a dangerous spot because people will follow you, and you will ruin their faith. I've seen this so many times in ministry. I would say half of our church has come from other leaders who have harmed them and damaged them because they stopped taking character very, very seriously. They got so above the organization, they didn't need character anymore. Does that make sense? That is true for every person in this room. Now, what we typically see is the church is okay being right here. And I will tell you, I thank God for this space right here because many times this limited kingdom growth, it happens in our families, doesn't it? This gets passed down to our kids, and we should celebrate that and thank God for that and honor that. But I will tell you this. This is somebody who I love my kids dearly. We are called to disciple more people than just our kids. There is a world around you. There are neighbors around you who are on a path for an eternal hell. Not a figurative hell, a real hell separated from God with no hope at all. They are on that path. That is why it's so important for us as the church of Jesus Christ to not just grow in character, but to learn how to functionally. Do what he did. And when that happens, the church, and we see this in the book of Acts, has a chance for unlimited kingdom impact. Maybe a better word is tangible kingdom impact. When the church of Jesus Christ is raised up and they become deeply rooted in him and what he has done, and they're full of his Holy Spirit, and they're trained to go out and then go and make disciples There is tangible kingdom impact, and that is the hope, that is the prayer. Jesus has saved and redeemed you and your life to be tangible representatives in this world, and he wants you to be like him and know what he has done. Let me give you an example of this. So, uh, and I've told a few of of you this in private. Uh, A few weeks ago, Tracy's aunt passed away. Um, It was very sad. She had battled cancer for 12, 13 years. Um, And a few days before she died, um, she was in hospice, so she was literally on her deathbed. And Tracy's mom and her other aunt, who have been in church their entire life, they are good Christian Southern women. So 50 years they've been in church. And their sister is dying and is in pain. And she just wants someone to share the good news with her someone to share the gospel with her and they had to call me to share the gospel with her and I was overjoyed to do that I was but later on that day I was thinking and I mean no disrespect when I say this it made me sad for them because it was a great joy for me to share that good news with the hurting sister but they've been in church for 50 years and could not encourage their own sister in her deepest, darkest time with the, with the living water of the good news of Jesus. And as one of your pastors and someone who loves each of you, I do not want that to be us in 30, 40 years. Does that make sense? I want us to be deeply in love with Jesus, but also know how to encourage and teach others to follow Jesus. All right, I'm going to be weird for a minute. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And I want you to truly picture the people in your life. Your spouse, your kids, of course. But I want you to think about your neighbors. Your neighborhood. I want you to really think about the lostness there. I want you to think about your workplace. And your co workers. And I want you to think about their lostness. I want you for a moment to think about your extended family for your aunts, for your uncles, for your cousins, for your siblings, the ones who are far away from God, or just the ones who are Christians and who are tired, discouraged. And as we're sitting here and it's quiet for just a few moments, will you just ask God to, break, to have him break your heart for them? Just at your seat with nobody else, just talk to God. Dear Lord we have people in our life who are far away from you and just as you looked out over Jerusalem and your heart broke over their lostness father break our hearts in the same way in Jesus let me pray amen the people you talk, you thought about that you have right now on your heart on your mind they do not need another church event to attend especially in our community They need you to be a disciple of Jesus. They need you. They need your tree to be around them. For them to experience the tangible expression of who God is through your life. That's the hope. That's the thing. And and on your sheet, I put these risk events. And these are risk events because... Taking a step of faith to do something is in itself a risk. It's putting yourself out there. And I want to challenge every person here this week on some level take one of these risk events. First, pray and humbly ask God how he wants to use you. That may seem simple and small. But when I say pray and humbly ask, I mean pray with this spirit of dying to yourself. That kind of humility. And ask God how he wants to use you. Write it down tell somebody. Second, I would encourage you to join a missional community. If you're not a part of one, join one. Be a part of a group of people and start living an integrated life. It's not perfect. It's not ideal. but It's what we got to join some kind of people that you're doing life with and you're on mission with. If you're currently in a missional community, engage in a deeper way. And do this by either opening up, share a struggle, share a sin. Say what you need to other people. Humble yourself. Embarrass yourself. Listen, as a pastor, I see people many times at their worst. When they're caught in their sin or some kind of thing. But I will tell you, the greatest time for most people is when they are embarrassed and caught in their sin. So that moment that the Holy Spirit can really begin to do work in our lives. Be quick to confess your sins, your struggles, your insecurities, your fears, your failures. Open yourself up. Make yourself known. Engage deeper. Maybe that's you investing in people outside of your organized gathering. Maybe you're every, every Wednesday you show up. But find ways outside of that to invest in those people, to encourage those people, to make yourself known. Last thing. Um, I'm going to pass these out. Uh, you just pass these around table to table. This is, if you want to take a step in just being disciple, I would encourage you, fill out this questionnaire and discuss with your MC leader or with the pastor. Um, take a risk, take a step. And here, over the next few months, is what we um, are going to focus on when we're trying to train each other up in the character and the competency of Jesus. And you see it, it's really kind of wrapped around um, this triangle. As we're living up, we must learn how to pursue God. This is the first posture, this is the first competency as, as a disciple of Jesus that you must learn to grow in is how do you, in 2019, with two kids, three kids, no kids, retired, working, whatever your stage is, how do you pursue God? Second competency, you must learn how to communicate the gospel. That as a disciple of Jesus... We must know how this gospel is the center of everything. The gospel is how we have access to the Father, isn't it? It's the gospel that gives us a family to go to. It's the gospel that we go forth with, that the gospel message is central to everything you do as a follower of Jesus. The other competency, we must learn how to live in community. And I will tell you, church in the West, Jason Wood, you, we do not know how to live in biblical community. We do not know how to do this in the ways of Jesus. We have shadows of it. We have moments of it. We have grown in this. But we must continue to learn how to live in community. We must learn how to join in God's mission. We must learn not how to simply do mission or do some nice things, but how we, as the sent ones of God, join God in the work He's already called to do. And it's as we pursue God, as we grow in this, as we learn to preach the gospel in all situations to ourselves, to the community of faith, on mission, as we live in community, as we join God's mission, as we do all these things, then... I need an eraser here. I'm running out of room. I need to erase my tree. By tree. Then we go and we make disciples. It's as we do these things, as we train the character and the competency of these things, that we then go and we make disciples. And this is the heart of god's church this is what we are called to do this is the ball game like this is it right here and my hope is over the next few weeks months years that we'll see great fruit from this let me pray for us and we'll uh, go to church dear lord uh, thank you for um thank you for the gospel message that you use broken people uh for your glory and for your name lord Lord, bless us today as we go out and we worship you, Father. Let us lift your name high, Lord. Let us cling to your good news. Let us cling to your cross and trust in the resurrection today, Lord. And let our hearts and lives be changed because of that good news. We love you. We pray Jesus' name. Amen.